we might have a belief that like, that we're not worthy to be loved. And it's a subconscious belief. Like consciously, we might think, yeah, I'm worthy. But this subconscious belief that we're not makes us sabotage things because we'll, it will be triggered a particular way and behave a different particular way or say something or run from something. That was Luke Ficini. I'm Rich Bolas, and this is The Dad Mindset Show. In this episode, Luke Ficini shares his less-than-optimal childhood experiences and how they've shaped him as a father. He discusses his journey of cleaning up his life and becoming a better person for his children. We get into Luke's spiritual awakening and how it's changed his approach to life, and we also dive into the modality he uses to help change his limiting beliefs and overcome resistance. Overall, Luke's story is one of personal growth, transformation, and the power of conscious living. I really hope you enjoy this episode with Luke Ficini. Luke Ficini, welcome to the show. So good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, Luke, I just want to get straight into it. Can you tell me what I need to know about you as a child that informs who you are as a father sat in front of me? Oh, big, big question. Uh, all right, so I experienced a rather disruptive uh, home life uh, in and start straight in. My mum died when I was 11. I'm the uh, second eldest of four kids and my father as a an absent parent in that he was the traditional old school work a couple of jobs to make sure we had our house and uh, and my, it was up to our mum really but three-year battle with cancer things kind of spiraled and um, after she passed away he couldn't manage four kids and it, uh, he kind of went a bit bipolar I think he was bipolar but he was like a dark room for us so he would be up at night and we would be left to fend for ourselves during the day which kind of what it did was started my brother and I on a life of crime which was um, not the best way to start so uh, I guess that's where my entrepreneurial spirit was born uh, and uh, I, I like to joke that I very quickly became very good at being bad uh, and I'm quite <laughs> quite lucky that I didn't um, end up dead or in jail. So that was I was out of home by 16 running with the wrong crowd and um, fully independent with a clear model of what being a father should definitely not be. So, I mean, what did that look like? Uh, as in? Be like leaving home at 16. Yeah. Uh, a lot of bed surfing to start with. So um, crashing at friends' places and uh, or when I had money, hotels. And that was kind of it until uh, like I was still attending school infrequently. Like I started as I was a smart kid. I was ducksing a private school, right? So I was um, doing really well. And then I got kicked out of that school because I rebelled and um, was asked to leave. And I went to a public school and then I just coasted. I didn't really do anything. Still came first there in a lot of things, but I started only attending the things I had to and the things that actually were therapy for me <laughs> in hindsight, like art. Um, so those were the classes I attended, art and English mostly, but I'd skip a bunch of other things, but still left 
but I stayed there because there was that, but also there was um, Aus study, which then allowed me to um, fund a, an apartment, like which wasn't purely through illicit means. So I, there was an organization that helped me set up and I ended up getting an apartment and got my brother to come in and inspired my sisters to follow the same path and they were out to uh, earlier than I. So we were orbiting the my father's home. Um, interestingly, on that, because I got into dealing um, drugs and um, I saw where my life was going and at about 19, I went back and knocked on the door and, and said, Dad, look, this is what I'm doing. I threw all this stuff out on the table and said, I don't want to be doing this, but I'm like in this. Can I come back? Like I'll, I'll work here, renovate, you know, do whatever. Just I need to separate myself from this. And he said no. <laughs> so it was like, a, okay, kind of um, fuck you. And then, um, yeah, things escalated until my oh, <laughs> well, the next ten years at least were a, a bit of a blur. Again, I'm lucky that like I was. You made it through. My sister uh, passed away from a, a drug misadventure, and uh, my brother ended up. Um, experiencing jail time and um uh, he's passed since he not not as a result of that he cleaned up and um got married and like lived, lived he was living a good life but he he's passed away so it's just it's very interesting life right so seen some seen some examples of a father not being there so i say like he gave me this model of if i wanted to be a good dad just do the opposite of what, like what he did. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm th- I'm thankful my mother was a good woman because you know, reading a lot, and learning a lot is that those formative years uh, up to seven is where you learn your principles and your values. And she was a she was a good woman. She was a a nun for eleven years before leaving the convent and meeting my dad. So I got like the angel and I got the demon. Wow, so your mom was like the the angel that sort of balanced out um, your dad's behavior, I guess. But then when she was gone and like your sister and your brother moved in with you, was it both sisters moved in with you then? My brother moved in with me and we then went from this temporary youth emergency kind of place to having our own uh, like regular rental apartment together um my sisters they went i showed them uh, that pathway they got a similar setup together and then moved into their own um apartments yeah yeah wow so after this had sort of happened then luke and you said you wanted to you clean up you wanted to clean up you you saw the writing on the wall this was not going to end well for you what what did that look like? How did you actually clean up? Well, interestingly, it was, must have been about 22 years ago now because it was getting pregnant with my daughter, Annabelle, that uh, I, I remember actually, I tell this, uh, she was, when she was born, she, was, she didn't scream like, 
they want the baby too. So it was a bit of a panic station. Interestingly, the same thing with Zafia just four weeks ago. So they kind of rub and like check and make sure that they can get her to cry. And after they did, they gave her to me in the birthing world, not the same way they usually do it where it's like skin on skin now, but I was dancing around the birthing ward and she was looking at me like I'm reading into this because they can't see. But it was like you've, you're looking deep into my soul and I feel like I have to become somebody you can be proud of. And it was kind of a turning point for me in like, it made me look at what I was doing. I mean, I had been pursuing a, um, through the influence of my friends taking this art thing that I'd been doing. I was always, also always sketching and, and started doing into an art degree, like a, a graphic design thing. And so it was kind of like that critical mass of like, I'm doing this, I'm still doing things that I shouldn't be doing, but seeing her, you know, I have to straighten myself up. So that was the turning point. <laughs> wow. So that's been a massive journey for you, hasn't it? So that point when Annabelle was basically in your arms, that just was that moment when you're like, okay, this is it. I'm changing now. Did you have any role models, like fatherhood role models that you had seen, whether they were teachers or other adults in your life that you're like, I want to be more like that? Did you have anyone that was like a guiding light? Or did you have to make it up on your own? That's a really good question. Uh, no, I haven't had a, a role model father figure. In, in fact, um, just recently with the my new wife, Fiona, and the life we have together, her parents are really wonderful people. They're really supportive. They're they're younger than my parents would have been at this age, or that, that if they were alive now. Uh, but they they are well. They're not perfect because no one's perfect. They're they're a positive family thing and i'm actually experiencing what it would be like to have adult parents now when i don't have that which is kind of it's fascinating uh but to answer your question no i didn't have a, a father figure in fact i was the first amongst my friends to have kids so didn't really have anyone else that was doing it and just didn't have like it was actually carving a path of like oh right, this is what pa- parenting is like so no and you've been through this process. This is the fourth time now. You've got four children. Now you've had one born, what, four weeks ago now? What have you learned each iteration of being a father then over those years? Uh, parallel the journey of evolution. So uh, I was with Annabelle and Anthony. They were 10 and a half months apart, my first kids. Uh, so strenuous um, situation to be in. And me as not the very awakened person that I am now, I continue to awaken. But back then I was very invested in the party scene. So I was not close to what I am now. I have somewhat intelligent, but very capitalistic about money, about good times. So second time around when actually I grew out, outgrew that, um, relationship and we separated and then I met somebody else which who was more aligned with where I was at that stage of my journey 
uh, had Isaac, so he's seven now. So we got married, had Isaac, and then that relationship didn't work. Um, divorced and now with Fiona. So in each step, there was that between Annabelle and Anthony's birth and Isaac's birth, I did have a massive evolution. I, um, a friend got me into audiobooks and I can, I've consumed like 600 plus of them. So like I, I'm very like his thing was if you if you read a, a hundred business books it's the equivalent of an MBA and like I've got all this net time living in Sydney as like I'm driving a lot so consume like two books a week just in traffic and and at the gym so I went through that implementing and evolving a lot of self development work a lot of reflection work looking at shadows looking at um, self massively. Um, had a, a spiritual awakening, conscious awakening uh, between those two and and Isaac. So I came at Isaac from a very balanced and conscious position. So he got a different version of me. Like with the others, I was kind of like my dad in that I was working a lot and I was um, there for you know, evenings but not mornings, uh, had them on weekends. Like I would never work weekends because I wanted to make sure that I was always there for my kids um, and that's kind of been consistent. But now I work even less because I want to make sure that I'm really there for them. So does that answer your question? A lot of evolution personally that brought me to a more conscious and present I'm meditating. Like I'm present with my with, with Isaac um, and it's also in that, time a lot of development in how to in, how to interact with your child right how to speak to them I, I've, I've never I've never this is one thing I I refuse to do my father was of that school that he would chase us around the house with a stick or a, a belt and floggings was the way to to discipline a child but uh, I think when Annabelle was like two or three she did something and I smacked her hand and I just I felt so bad just like smacking the hand that I've never hit any of my children since then it was like it was abhorrent to me so I'll always make sure I get down and have a conversation and talk through what something is calmly so it's really I don't know it's it's hard to explain that that's just kind of like a Look at the example of what my father did and don't do that and evolve. So what was your spiritual awakening? Because you said you were doing a lot of meditation and obviously you're consuming audiobooks, but then you felt you had a spiritual awakening. How was that for you? Yeah, so some backstory on that one. As a uh, growing up in a very Catholic house because my mother had been a nun for 11 years so she's brought the religion in and we were at church every sunday uh when she passed i was kind of uh disillusioned by religion and how could god take away this perfect catholic woman from her family that needs so it's like kind of shunned religion so i thought of religion spirituality is kind of like Luke Skywalker, the force, and it's the force is out there. Like there's this universal force, right? And um, 
that's how it was. But I always thought there was like some kind of universal driving force. It was a book that was gifted to me that introduced me to a guy named Joe Vitale who likely or not associated with the that the book and the movie The Secret, um, which doesn't do any of that manifesting stuff justice. But his he wrote a book later which was called Zero Limits. And it was about this um Psychologist in Hawaii, Hawaiian psychologist named uh, Dr. Hugh Len Haleakala. I've probably bastardized his name. I haven't said it lately. And he took a job at a um, criminal insanity wing of a of a hospital, right? So he was treating or um, psychotic criminals, and he healed them all, changed that without even seeing them one on one. And it was working through this process of ho'oponopono, um, which is an ancient Hawaiian practice of um, self-identity and uh, cleansing to through connection with the divine. Uh, and I thought, hey, that's is cool. This is Hawaiian, so you know, like I can I can deal with this as a as a um, as a spiritual tool. So I started doing this cleansing, and it all it pivoted around this it was very interesting because this year um it was a new year's day and i kind of reflected on why aren't i a millionaire i've got this agency um i'm you know i'm doing what i love but uh, i'm not financially there and i look back as kind of like nlp timeline therapy and i was looking back going tuesday monday sunday tuesday monday sunday like these dips of like every week like this, like I'm not there because I'm recovering from this bender of a weekend, which was my life for years because of the my uh, parallel lifestyle. And I went, what if I don't touch anything for a year? Like no, no recreational anything, no alcohol, no um, party drugs, nothing, just completely clean, cold turkey for a year, see what happens. And that was the pivotal year. So it was a, it was about um, six months after that or around that where I was introduced to Ho'oponopono. I started practicing this and it's just it's really, really simple. It's four words, but it's addressing the divine or God. Or like For me, it was easy to address divine because there's no Godhead and there's no old man in the sky associated to it, right? So it's like it's submitting. It's like I'm sorry. Right for something that's brought to you a problem, whatever. Please forgive me. Thank you. Like, and it's letting go. And I love you. And it's those four words, and it's reflecting on something that's brought to you that's a challenge or something you're experiencing that's a problem, or it's just um, anything within you. Just, just doing this process of cleaning, and it really lightened me up. Like my dark soul became kind of light and it was really interesting because the the theory with ho'oponopono is you're either operating out of a shared belief like we're connected by the superconscious right you know like, oh wondering what rich is doing and then all of a sudden you get a text message or a call and it's like because we connected right there's a there's a shared consciousness so it's either a shared memory or if we clear divine inspiration right? and what that looked like for me running a branding agency is these like pack like a, a a knowing package delivered like i was like oh stop guys i've got the solution and we'll just do it and it was perfect 
right? It was like the whole thing, like um, Mozart getting a full composed song, boom, and it's done, right? That's what I was getting these packages delivered of knowing of projects. And then I was sitting on my couch on a um, September day that year and it was got one of these packages delivered. I was cleansing and sitting there, sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. Well, read the Quran. I was like, all right, I guess I'm reading the Quran. So I ordered uh, one off Amazon, a translation. I didn't know what the Quran was. I didn't have anyone telling me to do this outside. It's just like, boom, okay, I need to do this because it's like one of these packages delivered. So it took me about a month to read it. And during that time, like I'm reading it and contemplating hard because, I mean, I was mowing through other books. I got books on the shelf there. I was mowing through thick books in a week. But this one like was so deep and contemplative and partway through it was like as much as I don't want this uh, and I don't want to be a Muslim, I can't deny this is true. So that was that was my true spiritual awakening. I became a, a Muslim, undercover Muslim, didn't want to go to the mosque, didn't want to be associated with terrorists, like the whole Islamophobia thing, right? It was real in my world. And I was like, I don't, I, um, but I started this path um, revealed to me and it was beautiful and I um, hold fast to that. So my morals are very anchored in Islamic beliefs. Like I find I have a great sense of um, purpose and certainty because i got a connection with my creator and that all happened in that year. Wow, massive. Yeah, which interestingly that was probably a big um, reason in the first relationship that I had deteriorated because there was not that shared belief or desire to even explore that so it's it's i guess it's a material difference in in your you as a person like that's a a big change oh 100 percent. and uh yeah there was a, a a big disconnection between um the world i was in prior to that and so friends fell away it's like you know i don't i don't drink right so i don't don't go out clubbing or it's like or i got invited to a a bucks party of a really good mate and i'm just like this is just so you know everything about a bucks night is like goes against like islamic principles and beliefs so yeah it's uh, funny yeah i don't see many of my old friends um yeah it's just uh yeah but how, how did how did that change the the way you approached your your family unit then and your relationship with your kids? Yeah, so family is so important with uh, Islamic beliefs. Um, like the principles of um, being a, a good person is that you need to provide, you need to um, give security, you need to just you need to be there. Like it's it's not a part time thing, so. Uh, very easy to adopt those principles. Nothing kind of revolutionary. Just, I mean, I became a, a better, more gentle, caring person and completely sober, so, uh, so forever present when I'm not distracted by business. Uh, yeah. Is that your vice now? Business? Oh, well, my, my purpose is um, deeply personal. So um, I want, I want, the world to be a better place for my family. And the only way we can do that 
because we cannot rely on government to do what's right. Like we're seeing so many shiny examples of um, how lobbyists own our leaders for something so simple, and I'm not going to be specific about that, but look at anything now, and it's government's bought and paid for. So with business being a vehicle that can, like it occupies our time, like whatever work time you allow it, it can change things. Like it can seriously change things. If we do collective action specifically through like-minded business, we can we can make this world a better place. So the purpose I wear on my shirt is all brands, to help all brands be good for the world. Like if we did that, like our kids are set. You know, the planet will be healthy. Yeah. And the people will be cared for. It's amazing because business is such a, a huge lever that we can pull in the right direction. It just so happens that the lever has been pushed in the wrong default for so long, but it's going to take that kind of action to reset the default so that it's actually for good. A hundred percent. Like we look at that, um, the gangster advice, typical gangster advice, which is it's nothing personal, it's just business. And the reason why I say it's gangster advice is because it was Al Capone's accountant that coined that phrase. Right, so it is like it's biz- business as usual is gangster. Right, what we need to do is make it more human and stop being all about. And you know this. We've we've spoken about this before. The whole B Corp movement, business for good, is about stakeholders, like and evaluating the full stakeholders rather than just shareholders. Yeah, getting rid of shareholder primacy and making sure that all the stakeholders have equal skin in the game, or at least some in some skin. In yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so I mean, and that that is your role now, isn't it? I mean, you're chief do-gooder. I love that title. Hey, yeah, thank you. It's like uh, um, I, yeah, I like. I feel my role is to inspire what I call purpose-ready business owners. They're doing everything right at home, like everything good for the family, sustainable, organic, every, like making those choices. But there's that disconnection from work. If you show and um, if you show the business case for doing good in the world, which there is so much upside, there is so much. And, um, you know, we've built this ROI calculator that actually shows the monetary upside of, of taking purpose and embedding it into your business. Because um, once people see it, it's like, oh, I didn't look at it like that way. I didn't see it like that. How do we do it? And then they do it and then their life is more beautiful yeah and the staff retention is through the roof that's that's the big thing right so this is the one of the biggest stresses we see for business owners is how to uh attract and retain top talent right but not only that like you can have somebody there that is going to stay there but if they're not like fully connected with the purpose and the impact of the organization you're not getting their uh potential yeah, totally. So productivity plus retention, your your life is more beautiful. Good business on steroids. A hundred percent, right? And the other thing is, and as from the marketing perspective, because that's kind of where I'm at, is like if, if you want your customers to experience something that's worth raving about, like an experience worth raving about, that needs to be delivered by somebody that is raving about your business, right? So your team needs to rave about it, right? And that only happens when there's a culture, when there's like, uh, when I say culture, like I talk about like if you envision like a yin and yang symbol, 
right? Um, half of it is your how, your culture, and the other half is your why. So they're infused. That's the nucleus of your brand. When you've um, given the clear rules of how to show up and making sure that everyone is aligned with who you are as a brand, but then you've given this motivation, like this shared vision of what we're doing, why are we showing up, boom, that nucleus, that is what actually releases the full potential of your team. And it gives you a story that people want to tell and want to own. Yeah, and it it has to be authentic because the staff are the ones that see all the dirty linen. Like they're the ones in the business, so they know exactly what's going on. And if it's kind of just a marketing sheen, they see right through that. And, you know, there's a certain type of person that probably is okay with that, but, you know, purpose-driven people are not. And so it's a really interesting test of of a, a true business's direction when you really drill down into the the staff that are staying. Mm, authenticity is that is fundamental because I'll say that thing on your nose, on your in the middle of your face, your nose, right? You can sniff out bullshit with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Everyone else can. Everyone else can. Yeah. So yeah, purpose washing, cause washing. Yeah, no time for that. It's. Uh... <laughs> so I mean, bringing this back to obviously family, because obviously what you've done, you've built, and you you help businesses, and that that provides for your family, but. Now you've had a recent addition to the family, like number four is in your arms minutes ago, probably like four Mm. weeks old. Like what has changed this time round for you? Oh, I think we talked about this like prior to, I think when I, when I met Fiona and like I'd hung up my boots, like I've done two rounds of this. Um, I, uh, grew up with one of my good friends when I was young, she had, um, six kids and had different fathers. So I had this story like I can't when Fiona wanted, like I want to have two kids. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy that has like a litter of kids with like, you know, women all around. You know, it's like and so it's a real kind of block for me. And um, I did some work on that. <laughs> I needed to do some work on that. And I, and I did um, – Site K on that one actually, which was really helpful, really cool modality, and I've dissolved that story. I've got a different belief that um, children are a gift, and they bring for you clarity and experience, and help you be. Help me, my children help me be a better person. Like I'm constantly evolving. This time round, with uh, a little bit, just I've evolved a little bit in seven years. Not not as massive as the last one um but this time i'm i'm i feel like i'm a better partner like i i decided after the last uh relationship that i was never going to settle that was probably the biggest shift of not going to settle and i had been kind of um how i was in life what do you mean by not settle yeah um i think a a and I did a lot of work on this, is that as a, uh, a man, very probably coming, everything stems from childhood, is that I was looking for love, but I was looking for to be loved more than to find like the the right connection. Um, so I, I loved, but I loved because I was loved, if that makes sense. So the women that were in my world who had been in my life was more of a, oh, you're interested in me. Cool, I'm now interested in you versus 
no, I'm looking for, I'm not willing to sell, I want the one. And this is my criteria for the one. And um, it was interesting because it was after Isaac's mom and I divorced, I was like, I'm quite happy being single. And I was that, what, that way, divorced, just being a single, a shared parent um, and enjoying that, but enjoying the freedom of being a single man and got on the apps and the apps are just so depressing. And I was like, oh, like, and this was like brought to my attention. It's like everything in there, it was like, uh, if I, like, I had a couple of coffee um, dates, nothing really serious happened out of that. But I was like, this is like, this is what I've, this is what I'm left with. And like, it was like, I'm really having to settle here. And like, no, I'm not going to settle. Like, I, I don't want to be like, okay, like, uh, you know. I want to, I want the one and like there's a great book, The Surrender Experiment. I encourage people to check it out in that there is, there is a divine plan, right? There is the plan that unfolds, the truth, and then there is what we trying to push for, which is the, the cause of stress and anxiety because we've got our plan and those two rarely line up perfectly, right? So the idea is if I'm meant to find somebody that is perfect for me and my creator knows exactly what it is because I'm explicit about what it is, I don't need to be on any apps because the time the, the plan's going to align. So I deleted everything. I went, right, you know where I am. And then it wasn't long later that this woman who I'd known, she's in like the purpose world, right, we never looked at each other that, like that before, but the plan had us collide a few times in a in a few weeks, and then we had a coffee, and it was talk, talk about business, but the coffee lasted like more than two hours, and it was like, has this turned into a date? Because like there was just all these commonalities, and started like checking things off a list, and we had more dates, and it was like, wow, like you've hit everything for me, and you know, we talked about this not settling thing and she's like i'm the same way and it's like boom so we're happily married and now have a child but it was i haven't had that before i haven't had that perfect pairing before so the willingness to be more open as a human be more vulnerable as a as a human like i've never done it to this degree before like i was very protective and um insulated and to the you know not really giving justice to the relationships that I was in because I wasn't that way. So done a lot of work. And be, before getting married, I I did look at, analyze a lot of the beliefs I had about worthiness, about love, about to, explored massively with Slack K and, and um, balanced on where I needed to be, to be willing to be loved and love. So talk me through that Slack K because I've not come across that before. Uh, it is, uh, if, if, if anyone's interested in this, check out Bruce Lipton's books. Uh, and he's actually got a, I think there's a YouTube where he talks about Psych K. He's a very big advocate of it. In, uh, The Honeymoon Effect, he talks about it at the end. And essentially what it is, he found, uh, I'll use his example is he talks about epigenetics, right? So we are, uh, either responding to a physical stimulus or a belief and that shapes our, genes so we are the sum of either the real reaction or a A perceived reaction correct right so we can we can be whatever we can change how we show up uh, by changing the programming that we have so we might have a belief that 
oh, pick anything. Like, they're not worthy to be loved, right? And it's a subconscious belief. Like consciously we might think, yeah, I'm worthy, but this sub this subconscious belief that we're not makes us sabotage things because we'll, it will be triggered a particular way and behave a different particular way or say something and just or run from something. That was a big thing. I would sort of um, go, I'm going to get abandoned. So get to this point, I'll abandon now to save myself from being abandoned, all right? So it's just very interesting that you can then, with Site K, have a direct connection to your subconscious. So you can check and go state a belief, test whether it's true. If it's true and you don't want it to be true, you can actually balance on it. You can create the opposite um, belief and then you can implant it and then test it and test that and make that true. So. How how does that actually work though? I mean, so for example, your your unearthing imprints that you have, and like, how do you gain access to that though? You say ask a question. What what does that look look yeah. like? Yeah. So the communication with subconscious is pretty simple. It's establishing a uh, muscle testing connection. So we, everyone's probably seen that one. Is like you know, hold your arm out and say. I say, my name is Luke, right? Test. And like, it's just a bit of resistance. If that's strong, cool, that's true. You say, my name is Mary. And, I'll, you know, they hold it out again, test it. Uh, no, it's not, right? So your subconscious is true or false. So you can ask a direct question and get a true or false response. So you connect, you, it, there's, there's a process to it. Like, and I've actually um, done the first level of, of Psych K because I wanted to be able to work on myself at any time and it's so cool like if you analyze something oh, i don't like how i feel about that you can run this process and go well, what is the belief that's underpinning that um what do i actually want it to look like and then balance that and install that and test it and it's changed in seconds right, which is phenomenal uh, next i'm going to learn how to there's a next level where i can actually treat people and help people work through that which for culture shifting which is kind of what we do as a foundational thing for sponge imagine you could you got a Imagine you've got a great employee, someone in your team that they've got like a subconscious sabotage to what's going on, but everything else about them is great. What if you could just help them shift that in, in like a half an hour meeting and then they're perfect, right? So that's why I look at it. But like for me, it is like I just sit there like on some days and go through a dozen different things that I want to see life differently, how, how I want to – what fundamental beliefs i have so you know i've done wealth done love done like ah self-esteem like there's, there's so many there's like anything you can think of you can explore it with a number of different belief statements and see if any of them aren't strong wow that's that's hugely powerful because it is it's those unconscious things because the ship is not run by us 99% of the time. And so we've basically abdicated all like, I guess, autopilot behavior to a set of beliefs that we don't even know. And mm. in the well, for the majority of actions we're doing like addiction, you know, just, just habits. And, and like, if we can set those defaults, like turn the lever, like we said before with business, but in ourselves into the right direction, that's hugely powerful. Like what what are some that have come up regarding, say, how you show up as a father? Have you actually like done an inventory on those oh. sort of beliefs? Uh I've now got some homework to do. <laughs> um uh, in your spare time. 
in your spare time. <laughs> oh, look, honestly, this honestly, this work is worth the 10, 15 minutes every day. Right? You, you could sit at the end of the day and go, what didn't work out in my favor? Is that what you do? Is it 10, 15 minutes a day where you sit down and, and go through a bunch of questions? What questions do you ask yourself? Well, start with that one is like, there's a couple, couple of ways to do it. One is that is you just review the day and go, well, what didn't work out in my favor or how I expected it to? And then you can look at that from a situational perspective and go, well, what happened? Right? What, what belief could it be stemmed around that? Right. And then what is the, and then there's it, the other part of it of like, hey, is balancing getting a whole hemisphere like left and right brain on that situation and what that does is enable it to become strong which there are a few different techniques to do that so there's a there's there's a great guy that i do the training with that i can share the the resources for you you can distribute but doing the doing that balancing then allows you to test whether it's uh, that belief is still strong or not, and uh, or weak is the thing. So, like, if you've got a statement, so I'm a great dad. Look, I, I um, prioritize my um, children equally with work, or however you want to, however you want to be about it. You can test that. It's like if it's weak, it's like, oh, well, why is it? Why isn't that weak? You balance it, cool, and then you feel this shift, and then you go right, test, boom. Now, if it's strong, you don't have to do anything, but you can actually implant other beliefs around that and test those until they're strong. So, um, the other is just if something happens and you don't feel right about it, like if you feel distressed about a situation, it's like, oh, okay, note that down. Then you can explore that. Go, what was it about that? What was my expectation? What could it be? And then balance it. What gets me quite excited about that sort of thing is it is becoming very deliberate. And I think a lot of what we do is not deliberate. It's by accident the majority of time because so few times do we tend to go through life and go this is what i actually want and then reverse engineer or at least on a daily basis do a bit of a a calibration on am i on track and that just doesn't seem to happen for the majority of us and it sounds like this is a model where you actually do get clear on those outcomes that you're aiming towards but then you're actually reviewing the process on a daily basis sounds awesome yeah the I, I was very religious about meditating every day, every morning. I, I was. And I would do a specific um, Joe Dispenza's guided meditations on getting into the state of like his thing really resonated for me is the universe, God. The universe doesn't give you what you want. It gives you who you are in that you have to be able to feel and experience in the quantum field what it is that you want in this reality for it actually to become a reality. Like you can't get something that if you can't feel worthy of it, basically, which are kind of um, so the more tactile it is, the more tangible it is because you've experienced it in like in visualization, but deeper than that in the quantum field, then the faster it comes to you. And what I saw there is that, Site K is shortcutting that process because if you can just balance the beliefs in seconds, then there's no uh, incongruency between what you want and who you are. So how, how do you how do you adopt a new belief then? So, for example, if you, well, can you give us an example? Hold on one second. 
this is my uh, site K book. So I was like taking notes of everything that I want to. So here's one. Like here's a set that I was thinking about um, uh, some tasks that were resistant. I was having some resistance to. So so I'll I'll read a couple of them. And the first one is, I am an irresistibly compelling copywriter, right? That belief is now something I subconsciously believe. It's not necessarily the only thing I want to do and it's not the primary. So those listening, that's not my job, but I do actually enjoy that now. This is a set, right? Copywriting is fun and easy. And copywriting is a zone of genius for me. So we're all about zone of genius here, but I was finding resistance to doing copywriting work. And just so analyzing that and going, well, what do I need to believe in order for this to be effortless for me to do and something that I find energizing? So those are, those are three. And I have not found any resistance to copywriting since then. Yeah. So like, it, and, and that, that took me just a little bit of analysis and a few minutes to balance each of them. And then they're now part of who I am. It's interesting because I I don't know about whether this has been the case with you, but some of the things that I'm actually best at now, I used to be really, they were like my nemeses. Like they were the things I was worst at. And it was through pure pain that I actually forced myself through them. And now they're the, the things that come effortlessly to me. And it almost feels like it's a similar thing. It's like you, you state where you want to be on the other side and then it's like, I'm going to get there. And like your brain is a, it's an answer machine. You ask it questions, it finds answers for them. You just have to ask the right questions. And so by setting that as a, uh, a belief in the future or even a present belief, it's just realigning the wiring to, to make that so. Yeah, exactly. It's like we are there, like that myelin thing, the, things that fire together, wire together, right? So you either do it by a process of repetition and actually you get there, like after however long it takes, or take a few seconds, get it, and then be there, right? So it's a shortcut. (laughs) Yeah, because I've heard the other way as well, like because you can do it the slow way, but it is very slow. It's like building a mountain layer of paint at a time, you know, and that's where you're gaining that evidence because you're doing the work and you're showing up. And then you slowly start to see evidence of, oh, I am getting a little bit better at that. And oh, I did get a little bit better. And, and it builds and builds and builds and compounding just is exponential. So over time, you get really good at something that you're really bad at. But I love this idea that if you can short wire it, short circuit it, that's, that's excellent. So you start feeling in flow around the things that you struggled with. That's it. Without resistance is the key, right? So we procrastinate. Procrastination is often a subconscious belief of that we're not worthy of it or it's not right or whatever it might be. We don't believe it, right? And one of the things that I was advised by the trainer is if you do New Year's resolutions, balance them. In what way? In that, like, let's say your New Year's resolution, let's take a typical one and go, I'm going to get back into the gym my goal is to lose like weight right so what is the belief what beliefs are there around that is like it's easy for me to lose weight i am healthy and strong i you know set like all these positive statements that sit the line up that all of these things if they're true means that my resolution is legit right so 
all, and it's about testing all these things that like, well, I, I'm worthy of having like a lean muscular body, you know, like all of these different things. Like, so about that process of pick a, a goal, develop all the statements around that that would have to be true, test them if they're not right, balance them. And that's the thing, right? So, so they become strong, true for you. So just to back up, when you actually balance that thing, can you talk me through that? So, for example, if you say, oh, I, you know, you want a, a, a fit muscular body, a slim muscular body or whatever, but one of those things is I enjoy, you know, I go to the gym every day or something like that, but then it doesn't balance. How do you actually rewrite that, like a new story there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's take that situation of the copywriting thing because it's on the page there. The process that I would have done around that is first is the reflection is like, the situation is I'm not writing copy, right? Like I want I want to write my own copy. Like I want to get copy out, right? Similar thing. It's like I want to go to the gym every day because I want to be fit and healthy. Right? So for me, it was like take that and go, well, A, quality of the work. So I am, I am an irresistibly compelling copywriter. Like I, the, the work I do needs to be awesome, right? Copywriting is fun and easy. So just explore all the different statements. And I had a bunch of other ones that are related to the, the situation that were there. Like I'm an irresistible pitch master because I was, I was doing my first pitch. I hadn't done one. So it was kind of like lining these things up. And then you test them and you do the muscle test and go, is this strong or weak? Like, is this true? And if it's true, you don't need to do anything. But if it's weak. So, but if it's weak, what do you do? Because if I if if I was if I was struggling with copywriting and I said I am an irresistibly compelling copywriter, like my my subconscious would call bullshit straight away and be like, yeah, yeah. And so, what as did mine, do? right? So, like, when, the way I mark these things is if I have to balance it, I'll tick it when it's balanced. If if sometimes when you have a list and you balance one, then you check the other ones and they're they're strong already. So I put a line next to it if it was like kind of a package deal because sometimes you'll solve one and it'll solve all of them, yeah. right? So the idea is explore a bunch and you can solve a whole page in like one. So then you do this process. So there are a few different ways to get hemispherically balanced. I don't know if that's just a label for it, but that's the way I'm talking about it is to get whole-minded over this belief. And there's some, there are physical things and there's a few of the few physical things to do and you ask your subconscious which which way will do this and your subconscious tells you true or false like the different ways and then you do it and you sit there until you feel a change and so you actually interrogate yourself to find the answer to how you need to rewire that belief so you actually say um you come up with suggestions to rewire this belief around copywriting i need to xyz and it, it'll give you a signal or how does that mm -hmm. I, i'm not it, quite getting there, it. there yeah, yeah yeah so like there is there is a, a particular balance and we talk about balance it's a physical way to um you know one of them involves um crossing your hands and 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 like a couple of different things like that but the idea is there is your the questions you're asking is right hand over left hand true or left hand over right hand, true, right? Because your 
Like it's it's that simple. Or you know, and there's a few different ways. It's not like tell me a thing. Like it's not a Ouija board. Like you know, <laughs> hop on one leg. Like what? That's random. No, it's not that. But it's like there, there's a there are some site K physical balances and when you do the training you'll learn them and you'll start going for a particular one that works well for you but then there's you you sit in that and then you you run this process of of with the belief until you feel a physical shift and for me it's a very it's a very noticeable shift and the more you do it it happens in seconds for me it's like just sit there um did it it, and it's like whoa okay cool and then you just check with the muscle test is this complete if it's complete, so hang on, you you skip. I feel like I missed a bit. So, what did you actually do with the compelling uh, copywriting example? Like, what was the physical thing you did to rewire that belief? The it's it's called a whole brain balance. It's actually a a, a, a cross arm, cross leg position, and that is like either right over left arm left over right arm, right over left leg, left over left, left over right leg. So you, you sit in that position with your eyes shut in like entwined in that position and state the belief, the, the one that you want again and again and again and again and again and again until like you feel a physical shift happen. Like there's something that happens, like you feel it happen. And then it's like, oh, is that it? So you've like, you know, it kind of, this process is complete and you'll test like that's a statement, true or false statement. This process is complete. And if it's strong, it's complete. Then you test the statement and it's like, I am an irresistibly com- uh, compelling copywriter. And if it's strong and like, there's a few different muscle tests on like one way will work more uh, easier for you. But if that's strong, now the belief is there. And then, so you've removed the impediments that you're, you've had internally blocking the actions that it takes to become actually good in that. Like you've still got to do the work to become a compelling copywriter, but you've removed any of the procrastination or, or the self-sabotage. That's what it does, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And like you can you can really load this up, right? So if you're strategic about it, you can go, well, I, I want this belief. What uh, secondary beliefs do I need to have that will enable me to do this? And you can really go wild with that. Is that like, you know, I'm an awesome researcher. I'm like, I'm great at listening to clients' needs or identifying clients' needs, like, or whatever it might be, and just actually pull at that thread and go, what is everything else that, like, if I had like that, like, unlimited kind of belief around would actually accelerate my thing? And that's why I've got pages of beliefs that I've um, worked on because once you get started, you go, like, oh, what is the secondary and tertiary belief that either is going to accelerate that or could be inhibiting me because I haven't balanced that? Yeah. Now, I can see manifold sort of benefits in an organizational setting where, you know, it's like on billions, you've got your psych working in-house that can help people just get totally aligned on what they've got to do. However, how... Have you talked about this sort of stuff with your kids and your family? Like, how have you looked at this in in your uh, household? My wife and I, yeah, every day we talk about it. My seven year old, not yet. I'll, I'm, I'm. There's level two is where you can do this muscle testing surrogate. Like, once I've learned level two, like we could sit and I could solve something for you. 
doing the muscle testing for you um, online. I can't wait. You got to call me. As yeah, yeah. Done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will. That's that's. Uh, I think it's in March, and and that will allow me to help anyone. Right, my kids, my my older kids. I've got a bit of estrangement, especially with my son. Like he's got some. I'd love to help him with some of the things that he's going through. My daughter, we haven't broached this. We broached other things. Annabelle, she's like, I think she would get a get value out of it. My sister, who I'll be seeing this afternoon, like I'm definitely going to be talking to her about that because she's. So here's the big part, and you mentioned it is that. You can go through life on autopilot or accepting particular ways that you are and going, that's just me. Or you can be aware. And that awareness, like that willingness, and I think that's what, what the, the role of uh, meditation was for me and doing it daily for quite a long time. I don't do it anymore. I don't feel like I need to after Psych K. It's just funny. Like, did all this Psych K work, and I'm just not compelled to meditate anymore. The meditation gave me that stillness to be able to ponder why I do something. So that in that introspection, I go, oh, okay, because it's the stimulus with that gap to response, right? So the stimulus can go. And what I love most about the relationship I have with my wife is that we are so willing to be wrong so that, like, if we don't argue, like, like things might get heated, but, like, we see it's the other showing us a trigger and then it's like that's an opportunity to uh, psyche it and get rid of it for good. And it's so powerful. Um, it's yeah. Anyway, I love having like this relationship, and yeah, I feel very blessed and lucky. So, and having someone that shares this ability to to solve and evolve. Yeah, wanting to help each other grow and and evolve and flourish. That sounds like bliss. Yeah. So Zafia is going to grow up with that. Yeah. Like re- really, like in my as I Isaac. To he like as soon as he's open to to those tools, like I'm seeing him as being a very advanced. Imagine, like I look at like it took me 35 years to wake up. What about a seven year old that gets like this advantage of before they're 10? You know what I mean, and has the tools to go. Oh, I don't like how I feel about that. Let me change how I feel about that. Pretty awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. So and that so brings back to the well giving you these tools for quality of life and ability to be a good human and create change and have all the relationships and the future that you want, well, we need to make sure that the world is going to be here in a livable, inhabitable form. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I know. It's mildly terrifying at the moment. Mm -hmm. But to that end, it's people that are going to make these changes. And if you can help the most amount of people work through their trauma and unblock their, you know, blockages to really align and I I guess put all their efforts in a purposeful direction. Like you couldn't ask for anything more. Like you could achieve amazing things. So Mm. I think that's why getting our own shit sorted out and actually removing all the blockages and baggages we have is the best way to show up for our families 
And then they can see that there is a way that you can work through this stuff. Not necessarily being perfect, because you don't want to be perfect anyway, because then anyone that's struggling doesn't want to even stand next to someone who's appears, you know, squeaky clean, because, you know, it feels like a million miles away. To actually know that someone's gone through the mud and the muck to get to where they are in a, a nice new place, that's that's inspiring. Hmm. Yeah, look, that's and that's that's good point. Like I, I think about that a bit. You know, I needed to see the darkest of the dark to see the light. You know, you look at I, Buddha experienced everything as like as a prince with everything to to then be able to see the squalor and dedicate. I don't know much about Buddha, but like you know, having that polar that polarizing experience enables you to have that depth and and consciously come at something an appreciation yes yeah ah well luke this has been fantastic thank you so much for sharing and uh i'm inspired so uh let's talk soon (laughs) thank you my pleasure well thanks for listening if you're interested in reading more about luke i'll put links in the show notes at thedadmindset.com before we go If you're in Australia and looking for a way to better manage how your kids deal with pocket money and spending, I can't recommend Spriggy cards enough. If you'd like to give them a go, it's usually $30 to get a debit card for each child. But if you click the link on this week's episode in the show notes or go to thedadmindset.com forward slash useful stuff or one word, you can get $20 back when you sign up. If this episode has resonated with you and you haven't already, the thing that you can do to help the most is to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. It really makes my day and helps immensely. Sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends is, of course, awesome and really helpful. Well, that's about all from me for now. Hope you have a great week. And as always, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. (laughs) 